Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. to the reading of the word of the Lord. Last week we started on rehearsing one more time concerning what our mission here is at the church. For anybody that know, don't know, our mission years ago that we stated was to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul and thus winning those souls, equipping them to be sent out to plant the harvest. And about every other year or so, it seems like I come back to the table to just rehearse this again in our ears because I don't want us to forget want us to forget what we say our mission is amen and to then try to uh, try to align our lives and what we do here at the church with that mission uh, with that mission in in mind amen and so last week we spoke about love but really this morning this is kind of a uh, a sequel if you will the sequel of love and that is this aspect of compassion because compassion is a outworking and a activity if you will of love Amen. We want to consider that, amen, today as we go to 1 John chapter number 3. Amen. I would like to say this morning we are so glad to have Michael and Jamie with us. Amen today. Amen. Now, you all know their, their, uh, their kids. They show up here quite frequently, uh, Brody and, and, and Kelsey, and, and we have grown to love them, and they're just sweet, sweet, sweet children. And they sung in our kids' choir and went to nursing homes to help sing. Uh, little Kelsey, there's, just her little smile just capture you. And, and we love their children. We're so thankful for you being here today. Amen. We want you to know that we love you too. Amen. We just love uh, all of you. And you are always welcome here at the First Apostolic Church. Amen. And as with anybody, we'd just love for you just to make this your church home. Amen. You can just call this home. Amen. And we can become just a part of your family. Amen. First John chapter number three and verse number 17. If you're not there yet, you can probably pay attention to the screen. The Bible says, but, but whoso hath this world's good, seeth his brother hath need, shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? It's like John is really picking up on something that, whether it's an impossibility or something that there's like some contradiction he's almost getting at here. That if he has the love of God in him, then bowels of compassion should be something that freely flows from him. He's saying, how can a person shut up bowels of compassion if he has the love of God? It's like, if this is happening, there's, there's a contradiction of something somewhere. And so we want to consider uh, this compassion this morning. Amen. Our statement is that we show compassion to every soul. We're not discriminatory over where compassion is being shown, but we show it to every soul. Amen. Father, I come to you today. Lord, I pray, oh Lord Jesus, that you're able to help us, Lord, in this place. God, as we once again, Lord, review and recount, Lord Jesus, this aspect, God, of what we say we are, what we say, Lord Jesus, we practice. I pray, oh, Lord God, let it be, Lord, revived in our hearts and revived in our minds. Lord Jesus, today, let every each individual today, God, be touched, Lord, by your spirit, by your compassion, Lord, through your people. 
the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. We took some of our setting of scripture last week about love from 1 John as well. And I told you how 1 John, if you want to read a book in the Bible, and it's not very long, but if you want to read a book in the Bible that is laced and just bathed and saturated in love, then 1 John is one of those one of those books talking about the genuine love of God. Amen. And the, the verdict, if you will, this verse that I read to you, verse 17, calls for the verdict of the love of God. And the verdict of the love of God is to stand based upon the compassion or the activity that comes from people. It's implied that if we aren't to love as God loves, that our compassion would have a certain uh print, if you will, or standard, a God standard as well upon it, because compassion is an expression of the love of God. It is one of the ways in which the love of God is shown. The Bible says in Colossians 3 and verse number 12, it says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies or interpreted bowels of compassion, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Verse 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man hath a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. There's our, our pattern, if you will, for forgiveness as he's forgiven you, forgive others. You've heard me preach or teach rather in forgiveness series before that the, the house of God should not just be the house of the forgiven. It should be the house of the forgiving. Amen. Because the forgiven for sure should know how to forgive because they have Christ has forgave them. Verse 14 of Colossians 3. And above all these things, put on charity or put on love, which is the bond of perfectness or the bond of maturity. Amen. So compassion is not a individual component. It does not stand alone by itself. Compassion is a gear in this mechanism, if you will, that's lubricated by the oil of love. There's all kinds of places in the Bible and it uses several different words that are translated compassion or that mean compassion. Some of their meanings are this, to love or to pity one or to have mercy upon one is showing compassion. To spare one is compassionate. To have bowels that are yearning, that might sound a little odd to us, but that's scriptural language basically of having compassion. To suffer with another person. That's having compassion. To bear gently with somebody. Uh, to bear gently with them or to show kindness with them. That is compassion. At five different times in the book of Psalms, David talked about how God uh, was full of compassion. And then when we turn over into the New Testament scriptures, Christ Jesus in his earthly ministry, we read different stories where many times he was, the Bible says, moved. He was moved with compassion for different reasons. Uh, he, he seen the people, the multitude that he had with him, that they were fainting, and the Bible says he's moved with compassion. He's seen some who were scattered about, he says, almost like a sheep that have no shepherd, and the Bible says he had compassion. Those that were sick with various diseases and, and various illnesses, his heart went 
went out to them. He had compassion upon those, those that were hungry, those that were blind, the leopard, and the list go on and on of the different people that, that Christ had compassion for because the fact of the matter is he has a compassion for anybody that is in need. That's where it's at. He has compassion for anybody that is in need. His, his compassion is moved by need. Amen. And so that's where as we walk into the church house doors today, amen, and we think, well, you know, God, this great God of the universe, how, I mean, what, how's he going to look down upon little old me? I'm here to tell you today, if you walked into the back doors as a needy person, God has compassion. He's moved by you. He's moved by your need, no matter how great or minuscule it is. He is moved by compassion, by his love for you. He gravitates toward people with need. God gravitates toward people with need. And so as a church, that gives us an example of how we should perform, how we should react. We should likewise then gravitate toward people with need. But compassion goes beyond just saying, oh, there's a need right there. Compassion goes beyond recognizing the need. Compassion goes to the place of having the desire and at times, many times, the ability of possibly to alleviate or help with the need. I mean, we can look all around us. We could start making, let's say, take out a piece of paper and start listing all the needs that you're aware of in the world. No doubt you could do that. But the fact is it goes beyond just recognizing. It's, it goes to the place of doing something about it doing something about it. The Bible says in Luke 10 and verse 33, this is the parable in Luke 10. It says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. This is the story of the good Samaritan that fell among thieves. And we're already kind of in the parable here a little bit. Okay, for time's sake. He came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. So there's a good Samaritan that's coming to a man that's fell among thieves. He has, he's basically seemingly been robbed. His, his body has been abused to some degree. And the Samaritan moves to where he was, saw him, and has, it uses the word, had compassion on him. You've heard me say this several times. I'm going to say it several times between now and the time I die and you die. All right? Amen. He had compassion. There were two other individuals that came by the man that fell among thieves prior to the good Samaritan. There was a priest and there was a Levite. The Bible says that the priest saw the man and passed by. So he recognized something, but he didn't do anything about it. He saw the man and he passed by. The Levite, the Bible says, came and looked upon the man. The word look there in the scripture meant that he contemplated. Maybe I'll help. Maybe I won't. Should I help? Sometimes that's the arena that we find ourselves in more times than not. Should I help? Or should I not? He contemplated and then the Bible says, guess what? After his contemplation, he passed on by. So he recognized the need. He even considered the need. Maybe even doing something about it. But he passed on by. But the difference between the good Samaritan and the priest and the Levite is this is that the Bible says that the good Samaritan came to the man, came to where he was whenever he saw him. He came to where the man was, and he did not pass by on the other side, but he moved toward the injured man. 
He moved toward the man that had the need because that is important for our church to love as God loves and show compassion. You got to move toward the need. You got to move toward the need and not just at a a distance recognizing or a distance uh, identifying. You got to move toward the need as the Good Samaritan did. And he moved toward him. And as he moved toward him, he's now going to act and show compassion upon him and love him. It's hard to always love people at a distance. It's hard to show compassion uh, with people at a distance. But if someone has compassion, this is the question that they are asking themselves or that we should ask ourselves. Uh, If someone has compassion, ask them what they are doing because compassion prompts an action. Compassion is more than recognition. Compassion is an action. And so in this parable, the good Samaritan had compassion. And so what did he do? Look at verse 34. The Bible says he had compassion on him. So this is the acting out of compassion. He went to him. He bound up his wounds. as He's been bludgeoned by these thieves. He bound up his wounds. He poured in oil and wine. I've told you before, that's the first aid kit there in the New Testament. He poured in oil and wine, which was for the soothing of the wound. He set him on his own beast. I know this this may go against us today, but do you see anything that the man that fell among the thieves is doing in any of this right now? He's binding up the wounds. He's pouring in the wine and oil. He's setting him on his own beast. And he brought him to an end, and the Bible says he took care of him. Amen. Before he left and had anybody else care for him, he took the responsibility. And he took care of him, verse 35. And on the morrow, he departed. So he's had a little bit longer stay than the priest and the Levite. (laughs) On the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host of the inn and said to him, Now take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Now, if you remember... This whole story is a parable. Parables are trying to teach us something. Parables are trying to teach us a lesson in Scripture. That's the reason why the Lord used them. He could use just common things in life that people were familiar with in order to teach a lesson. And the reason why this whole parable began, what started it in the beginning, was because a lawyer had come to Christ and asked him a question. And the question that the lawyer had was this, Lord, who is my neighbor? And the reason why he's asking the Lord this is because the understanding even that we had from last week, all of the law and the prophets hang on two commandments, love God and love your neighbor. And so what the lawyer is wanting to know, God, you point out who my neighbor is and that's who I will love. Who is my neighbor? You know what he's wanting? Lord, you draw the line in the sand so I know how far I need to go. You, you, you just tell me who it is, and that's what I'll do, and I'll be able to check that off my box of deed accomplished. I loved my neighbor. But Christ mixes everything up with his parable here because when we get to verse number 36 toward the end of the parable, the answer is, and the good Samaritan proved this, he proved to be the neighbor to this wounded man, a wounded man. And so the answer then, if you will, for the lawyer is simply this. The one that you show mercy to, the one that you show compassion toward 
is, is this is the one, this, this one that is wounded, this one that is in need. I'm not saying that it's a priest or a Levite or a Jew or a Gentile or a Samaritan or that it's somebody of Ethiopia or it's some, no, no. He said, I'm not putting any of those labels on it. He says, your neighbor, the one that you show mercy and compassion to are those that are in need. Now, our idea of neighbor is somebody next door to us. Or somebody across the street to us. But that's not the definition of Christ's idea of neighbor. Your neighbor is somebody that's in need. Your neighbor is somebody that is desiring, yearning, needing, injury, wound, despair. All of this. That is our neighbor. Our neighbor goes even beyond our community. Amen. Our neighbor is not about a location. Our neighbor is about a condition. Amen. And he said, so that's the one, the one you show mercy on, the one that is wounded, the one that is in need. Look again, 1 John 3, 17. It starts with the word. It says, but. It says, but. It has that, that, that contrast or that conjunction. But whoso hath this world's good. Amen. And so that, that word of conjunction, that word of contrast there, it tells us it's contrasting a vivid contrast with Jesus' example that was in the preceding verse, verse number 16. So if we look at verse number 16, we'll see what verse number 17 is contrasting with. And here's what the Bible says. Hereby perceive or hereby know we the love of God because he laid down his life. Action. Everybody say action. He laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But, all right, we, we, here's the fact. Probably none of us here, as I said before, will never lay down our lives for another individual. Amen. For sure, in the sense, the way that Jesus laid down his life. And he was willing to lay down his life. But when we look in view of verse number 17, the person in view in verse number 17 is not even willing to lay down a part of their life for the material possessions if you will for the sake of the brother the good samaritan was laying down part of his life here we go the good samaritan was laying down part of his life in what way that was his oil and his wine he poured into the wound that was his beast he put the man on he took his time that's a big he took his time. He was on a journey too. That, that was a popular journey road from Jerusalem to Jericho that many people traveled. He took part of his time out of his day where he was going, what he was doing to take care of this, take him to an end, and then he had to pay money for the man to be able to stay. So he's got, he's got resources involved in this, of monetary resources, time involved in this, Right? And so he might not be laying down his physical life, if you will, in a way, but he is laying down a portion of his life, his resources, his money, his time. He's laying, he's showing compassion in action. He's laying that down for what? For the purpose of this one that is in need. Christianity should be a religion that should be distinct from every other religion because of its compassion. Amen. But if we lose our ability... To show compassion toward men. Then we've really limited our ability to God. Or our availability to God. Because I can be passionate toward God. Man, I can be so passionate about God. 
But I need that passion toward God to become compassion through me toward man. Someone say amen. So there's, there's a conflict sometimes. Being compassionate toward God and then on another hand not being compassionate toward people. The Bible says in certain areas that shutteth up his, if a man would shut up his bowels, there in our, our text, if a man would shut up his bowels of compassion from somebody that was in need, the word or the verb shutteth literally means this. If someone would close up or lock the door on their compassion, amen. It's, it's kind of giving us a word picture here of what we are doing with our compassion. It's like putting it behind a closed door, shutting the door, and sometimes we even lock it. Saying compassion, you just stay right in there. And here's what it takes to be the compassionate. Though, you got to empathize with where people have been or where they are. Mm-hmm. And in some modes, you if you if you don't have that capability, some people might even be able to at least sympathize with someone has been. Amen. You can't isolate yourself from the need of another. It's important this morning to monitor monitor ourselves. And really have people in our lives, even as a church, as people sitting here right before me this morning, we need to be accountable to one another. Because what can happen in quote unquote church life, you can suffer from compassion fatigue. When bad things happen, we feel for people, feel bad that it happened for them. But that's the extent that it goes. I hate that for you. I'm sorry that happened. And we don't go any further than that. We don't do anything to help. Suffering from compassion fatigue, I suppose. And so if it's left unchecked at that, at that position, at that level, then there's a possibility if we don't do anything and it's just I feel bad for you, then eventually then we don't even feel bad. We don't even feel bad or empathize with people. And what it comes down to is this. They did the deed. Boom, they got exactly what they deserve. I tell you easily today from my own life that if that was the love of God, we'd be an empty church house here at the Dorrance this morning. Pat did the deed. Well, gets what he deserved. Brown did the deed, write him off. Huh? So-and-so did that, put on them. Amen. And so we got to watch ourselves, though, as a church, that we don't just get to the place of not acting, but if we don't watch ourselves, we can get to our place of not even feeling. Well, bless God, they're just a low-down scoundrel. That's That's just what they get. I tell you, that might be what they get, but what they need is quite different. What they need is quite different. We stood over the past 48 hours in front of a bunch of ladies that were getting what they deserved. But what they needed is what we came into those past 48 hours with, what they needed. And that's the reason why whenever they left, amen, last night, 21 went away with something that they needed. They were getting already what they deserved, but they had something that they needed. So we had to move in action and empathize and Amen. Amen. Look what's relayed here. Look what's relayed here in 1 John 3. And it's a, it's a scenario that's really real in life. One has a means to meet the need. 
whether it be material means, spiritual means, all right, they have a means to meet a need. And the other has a need that needs to be met. And it would seem like no-brainer, right? No-brainer. The means, the need. It's like, boom, good marriage, you know. Good marriage. But how develop the love of God in him? He said, because God's love, in reality, this is really what he's conveying. God's love can't, can't be bottled up and contained in you. God's love really will inevitably just flow out of you the love of God abides in you and so John then asserts that if there is no outflow if there is no outflow if there is no evidence that there is if there's no evidence that there is no bowels of compassion that are going forth he says then it's probably because there's been no inflow he said if there's no outflow of compassion there's been no inflow then from heaven of God. In other words, there's something hindering it. Something's taking place. There's some type of constriction that's taking place in some fashion. I want you to know this morning, and, and I wish I could tell you that this is the case, and this isn't always the case, but I wish I could tell you that every time you show compassion, you're going to have a positive ex- result. I wish I could tell you every time that you move toward the need of the injured, it's going to be a positive result. I wish I could tell you that. Amen. And that's not always the case. Uh, it's not always the prodigal that is coming back home. But I can tell you that if you do what you do, however they accept it or don't accept it, there's going to be some type of impression that's been made on their life in that moment, whether they will own it or not. There's going to be an impression made upon their life that they'll have to live with the rest of their days, that somebody seen me in need and Somebody had compassion toward me and I didn't reciprocate in any way, but they'll never be able to walk away and say they didn't care. They didn't empathize. They didn't sympathize. They didn't reach out. No, they'll say somewhere in my life, I knew what it was like to feel the love of God because somebody had compassion on me when I was in need. Amen. When I was in need. The book of Jude have told us, verses 21 and 22, to keep yourselves, keep yourselves, he says, in the love of God. And then later he says, and some having compassion, making a difference. He says, there's some that you pull out of the fire. That's what Jude said. He said, there's some you pull out of the fire. It is just such a horrid situation or circumstances and, and, and they are powerless, it would almost seem for change, and you just pull them out of the fire. He said, but then there's others. But what they need, it's not necessarily a pulling out of the fire, they just need some compassion. And the compassion makes the difference. The action, the moving toward the need, makes the difference. Hallelujah. So while I can't guarantee you none will ever that there will never be a time that something won't end bad when you show compassion. I can tell you this also this morning, that not every deed that you do will end bad either. Amen? It's kind of like, you know, people, if you're going to write something off because there was one episode or one time that something went the way that you thought it should not go, then, I mean, you, you, oh, I've heard a lot of people say before you, you know, that person gives Christianity a bad name because of what they did, Right? 
But if you have your, your view like that with everything, well, well, I showed compassion there and it kind of went belly up. Well, then just write it off. You can't do that. You can't do that because you'll be writing all kinds of stuff off in your life. You'll be written off when you was charged too much at the mechanic or he didn't get your car completely fixed or you're just going to live a life of write-offs. Thank God for forgiveness. Well, someone say amen. The scope for our, our, our mission, showing compassion to every soul. Every soul. Every business in America. I don't care what it is. Every company, restaurant, department, store, matters not what it is. Their business is the same business that is the business of the church and its people. I don't care what you sell, what your product is. Your business really is people. You might have goods and services you might render and serve them with. Amen. But we do too here at the church. Amen. And we are serving them with a good and a purpose and a service that's not mine, but it's his. I'm just a sale representative. <laughs> I'm just a salesman representative here today. And so our mission's got to parallel the mission of Jesus Christ. The mission that Jesus supported and the mission that Jesus died for. Luke 19 and 10 said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so since that was his purpose in his earthly ministry and even now, then the church that he established in Acts also exists for that purpose of seeking and saving. Seeking is the evangelizing, saving, if you will. It's not just them being born again, but the discipling of their lives and teaching them those which were lost. Amen. The church is in or should be in the soul business. I, I lean upon that, that, that name so or that word so rather than just people or, or man or woman because all throughout the scriptures there's a whole different connotation when you're just talking about a person or you're talking about a soul because a person body, hair, follicles, all those things are going to deteriorate in a ground someday. The body is going to just be, it's going to be shed if you will on rapture day. The, the, the the mortal will be put on immortality, all right? But there's a part of man that will be forever. There's a part of man that's eternal, and that's the soul, the soul of men. And so we want to have compassion on every soul. The body's going to die. The body's going to decay. But the soul is going to live on forever somewhere, someday. And the Bible, all throughout the scripture, God referred to the nation of Israel. He didn't just call them his people, but he called them souls. Luke tells us of the addition on the day of Pentecost that there were added to the church three thousand souls the apostle Paul noted whenever he was on the boat in Acts 27 that was being tossed here and there he says I was on this boat with 276 souls there were 276 souls that were at stake on this ship that were looking for impending destruction was coming and so as Peter even Peter was, was reflecting upon Noah's day when the flood came and he said you know what happened in the flood he said the ark was built and 
there were eight, so he didn't say people saved. He said there were eight souls that were saved. Amen. He just didn't equate a person or a number. Amen. Or, or, or a nationality or a race with them. He said those are souls. Because when it comes to the bottom line, it's not just the fact that people need saved or Asia needs saved or America needs saved or Mount Carmel needs saved. But souls need saved. And if the soul's in the gutter, that soul needs saved. If the soul is an addict, that soul needs saved. If the soul is a prostitute, to, that soul needs saved. It needs compassion shown toward it. Hallelujah. We're not talking about humanity here. We're talking about souls. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes that God set the world in their heart. Speaking of man. God set the world in their heart. World, the word world there means that he set everlasting or he set forever and ever or he set eternity in their heart. See, there's a, there's a part of man that's a, an eternal part of man. From dust I came, to dust shall I go. Adam created from the dust of the ground after a mist to come up from the earth. But that's where we're going to return as well. But Ecclesiastes 12, 7 says, Then shall the dust, which is referring to your physical body, shall return to the earth as it was. And the spirit, literally the breath, shall return unto God. Who gave it? Honey, if I say it like this, we need to catch our breath today. We need, to, we need to catch our breath today. The human body is made up of materials and minerals found on the surface of the ground. Not from the core of the earth, but from the surface of the ground. Your human body is made up of oxygen being the most abundant element on the earth's crust or on the ground. Makes up 65% of the human body. Carbon is found also in our bodies. Also abundant on the topsoil of the ground is 18%. Hydrogen is 10% parts, amen, of your body. There's 59 elements found in the human body and all of them are found on the earth's surface. Adam was created from the dust of the earth. But whenever that was said and done, Genesis 2, 7, that God leaned over that body he just created and he breathed into those nostrils the breath of life and man became a living a living soul and once God started that soul with life there's never going to be a day it will be without life it's going to continue to live and we got a responsibility at the first apostolic church as Christians as humanity we got to show compassion to every soul Every soul, every soul, amen. Think of it in this matter, if you will. If this is going to help you through your times of being the Levite that's contemplating should I or should I not, you need to look at it as this. God breathed that first breath in man. When you go after man, you're going after the breath that God put in, put in him. What are you trying to do? You're reaching for the breath of God. You're, 
made in his image, fashioned in his likeness, with his breath. You're just trying to, you're trying to retrieve. You're trying to be a, be a, a catalyst, if you will, be an instrument for the redemption of redeeming God's breath back. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because that breath of life was not created. That breath of life was transferred from God to them. It is that, if you can, that breath of life was a part of the eternal God. And so as we go after men and women, as we go after souls, what we're trying to do is put our hand around and pull in close, if you will, once again, a part or portion of the breath of God. Amen. Just get them into the kingdom. Get them into the kingdom. It's an eternal aspect. An eternal aspect of man. If you'll stand with me today and I'll, I'll hasten to a close. Show compassion to every soul. Every soul. Oh, God. Man, I've seen a lot of compassion in the past 48 hours. A lot of compassion. We're so proud of, proud of the people that went in with us and, and seen the compassion. Seen the compassion. I, I'm glad that they lived out the theme of, of, of the church for this year, and they, they were the story. They were the story. The Bible says in Psalms 42 and 1, as the heart part panteth rather after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Here's the fact of the matter. John Ortberg said this. He said, a paradox of the soul is that it is incapable of satisfying itself. But it is also incapable of living without satisfaction. So it can't satisfy itself, but it can't do without satisfaction as well. He says you were made for soul satisfaction. But you will only ever find soul satisfaction and get that. Not from another person. Not from yourself. And it needs it. But the only way that that comes to you is from God. The old chorus. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. <laughs> and only He can take a heart and make it whole <laughs> he'll give you strength you never knew sweet love and joy in heaven too cause only Jesus can satisfy these altars are open this morning these altars are open for the souls that need satisfying 
And these altars are open for the members of this church that want to say, Lord, I'm coming up here once again and I'm rededicating, Lord, myself to this part of our mission to love as God loves and to show compassion to every, every soul. That means moving toward it. That means acting upon it. That means gravitating toward the need, loving the need. I'm going to empathize. I'm going to sympathize. God, we are your Lord Jesus. We're your tools. We are your missionaries in the earth. Lord Jesus, to reach. God, to reach, to reach. There's a soul. Somebody needs to reclaim the breath of God that's out there. Somebody needs to reclaim the breath of God that's out there. Enjoy. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.